Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Persecution has always been a part of church history. But today, when we come to Acts 12, we're going to look at the first instance of state government-sponsored persecution. And yet today's story is not so much about the inevitability of persecution as it is about the tremendous power of prayer. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Can you imagine being locked up in prison for telling others about Jesus Christ? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about a first century Christian who found himself behind bars for sharing the gospel. His shocking story takes a dramatic turn, and his release is proof that God is faithful when we pray. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. As a student of church history, I've become deeply grateful for the fearless Christians who have gone before me. In many cases, these brave men and women endured unspeakable suffering. Oh, sure, in America today, Christians are sensing a surge of hostility against the church, but nothing like the persecution the early Christians endured. And as opposition to our faith continues to escalate in our country, it's helpful to hear these New Testament stories. We have so much to learn from the remarkable courage of the first century believers, and their stories are the foundation of my brand new book called Unstoppable Power. A copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Now, here's the best part. Every dollar you give between now and July 4th will be automatically doubled in impact because of the $500,000 matching challenge. And there's a ripple effect to your gift. By participating right now, you're not only helping your immediate family, but you're also helping countless others become grounded in their Christian faith as well. So thanks for giving generously before the deadline on July 4th. When you give, I'll make sure to send you a copy of my new book, Unstoppable Power, based on Acts chapters 1 through 12. Now, this is the final study in the Unstoppable Power teaching series. Today, I want you to witness several jaw-dropping stories of invincible courage as they unfold in the book of Acts. So let's get started. I titled today's message, Persecution, Prison, and Prayer. Heinrich Himmler and Reinhard Heydrich were two of Adolf Hitler's top lieutenants. They were also rabid anti-Christians. And they had as a goal to start a new religion in Germany, one that would be a mixture of the worship of pagan Germanic gods mixed in with the Third Reich philosophy. And they thought that if they could create this new religion, that they could replace Jesus Christ with Adolf Hitler in the hearts of Germans. Even Hitler himself thought that was ludicrous. But then he began to see the value of using the church's power to advance his cause. He thought to himself, why should I go to the trouble of creating a brand new religion? Why not just corrupt the church that is already present? And so he had another lieutenant, Alfred Rosenberg, who created a 30-point plan for corrupting the German church. That plan included replacing every Bible in every church in Germany with copies of Hitler's book, Mein Kampf. It included 
taking down all of the crosses in churches and replacing them with swastikas. A few churches resisted, but amazingly few resisted. You say, well, that's an interesting story, Pastor, but thank God that could never happen in our country. Don't be so sure. Many Germans thought it could never happen in their country either. Persecution has always been a part of church history. It's inevitable. We've seen persecution from the earliest days of the church in the book of Acts. But today, when we come to Acts 12, we're going to look at the first instance of state government-sponsored persecution. And yet today's story is not so much about the inevitability of persecution as it is about the tremendous power of prayer. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. As we look at a story about persecution, prison, and prayer, Acts chapter 12. Luke begins in verse 1 with these words, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. If one dead apostle is good, two dead apostles are even better. So he decided to go after the big fish, so to speak, Peter, the leader of the church. He arrested him with the intention of putting him to death. But there was just one problem. Verse 3 says, it was during the days of unleavened bread. That was the seven-day feast of the Jews that began on Passover. It was a holy time. So Herod said, I can't have a public execution right now. It would show disrespect to the Jews. So we'll put him in prison and hold him until the feast is over. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but the prayer for him was being made fervently by the church. While Peter was in prison, ready to be executed, the church prayed fervently. What is it that made their prayer so powerful? The late James Montgomery Boyce notes three characteristics of the church's prayer that caused God to answer in such a powerful way. First of all, the church prayed to God. That's what verse 5 says. They prayed fervently to God. That's the foundation for powerful praying. R.A. Torrey in his book, The Power of Prayer, describes a moment of realization that absolutely transformed his prayer life. He said, the day came when I realized what real prayer meant. I realized that prayer was having an audience with God, actually coming into the presence of God and asking and getting things from him. The realization of that fact transformed my prayer life. Before that, prayer had been nothing more than a mere duty and sometimes an irksome duty. But from that time on, prayer has not merely been a duty, but a privilege, one of the highest privileges of life. Before that realization, my thought had been, how much time must I spend in prayer? The thought that now possesses me is, how much time may I spend in prayer without neglecting my other responsibilities? Don't forget when you pray, you're praying to God. The early church understood that. Secondly, they understood the importance of earnestness in praying. They prayed earnestly. Uh, the New American Standard says they prayed fervently. That Greek word means 
uh, muscle that is stretched to the very limit. This was no little prayer with folded hands, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. This church was praying earnestly, fervently. What do we mean by that? In the discourse that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave his greatest teaching on prayer. And remember in Matthew 6, he said, God isn't impressed by the number of words we use in our prayer. He's not impressed by the repetition of our prayer. But he is impressed, he takes notice of the earnestness, the seriousness with which we pray. And thirdly, the church prayed specifically. That's why it was an effective, powerful plan. They prayed for Peter. And what did they pray for Peter? It wasn't one of these general, Lord, bless Peter, bless Peter, bless Peter. Why is it we lack specificity in our prayers? I think one reason is we don't want to be disappointed. If we pray specifically and God doesn't answer, then we get disappointed. And I think another reason is we're really not sure God can pull off our request. The reason we don't ask God for big things is the same reason we don't ask a 95-year-old grandpa to move a heavy box. We don't want to embarrass him. We don't want to ask him to do something he's really incapable of doing. But the prerequisite to big blessings in our life is to pray big things, pray with specificity. That's exactly what this church did. And how did God react to their prayer? Look at verse 6. Peter is freed. I love this. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, this was the night before his execution, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. So they guarded him, and all of that time, while the guards were watching, what was Peter doing? <sighs> Don't you find that amazing? The night before his execution, he is sound asleep. We'll see how soundly in just a moment. How could he do that? How could he sleep? Remember the promise of Isaiah 26, verse 3? Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. That was the secret to Peter's peace. Look at verse 7. Here he is sleeping away. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. <laughs> the angel had to shake Peter, had to poke him in the side, had to strike him. He was sleeping so soundly. Verse 8, and the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. In the original Greek, let's scram. <laughs> let's get out of here. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so he went out and continued to follow the angel. And Peter did not know that what was being done by the angel was real but he thought he was seeing a vision. He really didn't know if what was happening was real, but he followed the angel, and the angel led him out of the jail, and they passed two guards that were sleeping, and then they came to the city gate that opened into the city, and like in one of those horror movies, the gate, Luke said, opened without any human effort at all, and suddenly, verse 11 says, Peter found himself in the streets of Jerusalem in the middle of the night, and he was all alone, and he realized it was all real. So what does he do? Well, he knows the Romans are going to be after him, so he does the logical thing. He goes to where his friends are, the Christians are. Many of them are gathered in the house of Mary for a prayer meeting. And that leads to verse 13. And this is 
probably to me the funniest passage in all of the Bible is the church's reaction to what happens to Peter. Verse 13, and when he knocked at the door of of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, let me in, let me in. When she recognized the voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. This little girl, Rhoda, was so excited when she heard Peter's voice, she forgot to open the door. And she goes back into the prayer meeting, all excited. And, you know, there they are with closed eyes, you know, having their prayer time right there. And she uh, starts saying, you won't believe it. Verse 15, it's Peter. God has answered our prayer. He's at the door knocking right now. They couldn't believe it. Verse 15 says, they said to her, you are out of your mind. Verse 16, again, a funny verse. The Bible says, while the church kept arguing, Peter kept knocking at the door, trying to break into his own prayer meeting. You know, it's interesting that this church, even though they had the faith to ask God, they didn't fully believe that God could answer their prayer before we're too hard on them. Isn't that true for us sometimes? We pray and we pray and we pray, and if the answer comes, we're shocked. We can't believe it, that God has actually answered our prayer. I don't know how much those early Christians were fully convinced of the power of prayer, but they were convinced enough to pray. And here's the good news. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith to move the hand of God. Did you know that? It's not the quantity of our faith. It's the object of our faith that matters. What is our faith in? Jesus said, you can have an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny amount of faith the size of a mustard seed. But if it's faith in God, it can move mountains. And that's how this church prayed. They prayed and God answered their prayer. Finally, verse 17, Peter was allowed into his prayer meeting and he explained what had happened. And then verse 17 closes by saying, Peter left and went to another place. We don't know where he went. There's an interesting postscript to this entire story that's worth noting. It begins in verse 18, Herod's reaction to the freeing of Peter. Now, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers. What an understatement as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down to Jude, from Judea to Caesarea, that's Caesarea by the sea, and was spending some time there. Herod was enraged because this diminished his authority in the sight of the people. He couldn't even hold one measly disciple hostage. He was inflamed, and not only that, he was having trade problems, Luke says, with Tyre and Sidon, and so he decided to go down to Caesarea and relax a little bit. And then he thought to himself, like so many politicians, the way out of this mess, the way to rescue myself from sinking poll numbers is to give a big speech. I'm going to give a big speech, and that will regain my position with the people. So verse 21 says, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to the people. And as he spoke, the people kept crying out, saying, the voice of a God and not a man. By the way, did you know this event is confirmed in secular history? Josephus, the historian, tells us exactly what was going on here. Listen to what Josephus wrote. 
He said, Herod put on a garment made holy of silver and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment, being illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner. And it was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently upon him. And presently his flatterers cried out, one from one place and one from another. An antiphonal response, one side saying one thing, one answering in the other. They said, he was a god. And they added, be thou merciful to us. For although we have hitherto reverenced thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. And how did Herod respond to this claim? He was a god. Did he respond like Peter did? Remember when Cornelius bowed in front of Cornelius and Peter said, get up. I'm not a god. I'm just a man like you. No, that wasn't Herod Agrippa. He stood there in the sun and he soaked in the praise. He let the people continue saying he was a god. And verse 23 says, at that moment, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him, meaning he had become the object of divine wrath. And then Joseph adds this detail, and a severe pain arose in Herod's belly and began in a most violent manner. Herod Agrippa didn't die immediately. He lingered on for five long days, dying in AD 44 at the age of 54. And Luke explains what happened. When he did not give God the glory, he was eaten by worms and he died. Let me mention two timeless truths from this passage that apply to each one of us. I hope you'll never forget these. Truth number one, no person can prevail against the purpose of God. Luke begins this chapter, chapter 12, with Herod killing Christian leaders and threatening to destroy the church. The chapter ends with Herod becoming nothing but worm food. No person can prevail against the purpose of God. And by the way, that doesn't apply just to non-Christians. No Christian can prevail against the power of God. Any Christian who continually disobeys God, continues to make himself or herself the God of their own life, you're not going to win that battle. Isaiah 45 verse 9 says, woe to him who quarrels, who makes war against his maker. No person can prevail against the power of God. Secondly, no circumstance can prevail against the power of prayer. These prison bars <laughs> were no match for the prayers of God's people. Now, let's be clear. There's nowhere in Scripture that says God will answer every prayer there's a boundary around our request. It's found in 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything, what? According to his will, he hears us. Now listen to me. That's not a cop-out. The will of God is a boundary around our request, not to keep good things from coming into our life, but to keep bad things from coming into our life. It's our protection. And sometimes God says no because he knows what's best. But hear me, just because God sometimes says no to our request doesn't mean he always says no. 
And that's why real faith in prayer means boldly asking for what is in our heart and quietly trusting in God's wisdom in answering that request. But the fact that God sometimes says no should not keep us from asking. James said it in James 4 too, you have not because you ask not. Years ago, I was in a very small group. We were meeting with uh, the late Dr. Adrian Rogers, the pastor of the Bellevue Church in Memphis for so many years. And Adrian was telling us a funny story, but it was a story with a purpose. He said when he was in Bible college in Florida, he preached one Sunday in a church. They couldn't afford to give him an honorarium, so they gave him these two big burlap bags filled with oranges. So he gets back to his apartment. He lugs them up the stairs into his second-floor apartment, puts them in the closet. A couple of days later, he's sitting there at the desk studying, and he looks out the window, and he notices a boy from next door standing on the fence, reaching over to an orange tree in Adrian's backyard. And when the boy looks both ways, sees nobody is looking, he grabs one of those oranges and puts it in his overalls. And uh, Adrian said, what that boy didn't know was, my orange tree was a sour orange tree. In Florida, a sour orange looks like a real orange. You think it's a real orange until you bite into it. Adrian said he chuckled as he thought about that boy getting home, taking out the purloined orange and biting into it and getting the surprise of a lifetime. Adrian said, you know, if that boy had simply walked up the stairs, knocked on my door and said, mister, could I have an orange from your orange tree? I would have said, oh, you don't want one of those. That's a sour orange. But come in here. In my closet, I've got all the oranges you could have ever imagined for. He said, the boy had not because he asked not. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan cannot keep God from answering your prayers but he can keep you from offering those prayers. You have not because you ask not. I think if there are gonna be any regrets in heaven, it's gonna be this. When we see all of the blessings God had planned for us, he had our name on those blessings. They were ours for the asking. If only we had had enough faith to ask. No circumstance can prevail against the awesome power of prayer. This is the perfect way to conclude our teaching series called Unstoppable Power. God wants to bless your life, but He's waiting on you to ask Him. Well, as I prepared these daily messages, I also wrote a book for you, and this is the very last day I'll mention it. I want to send you a copy today. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. In a moment, David will explain how you can receive the video recordings and the audio recordings in the event you want to share these messages with friends, family members, or your small group Bible study. And then let me remind you that time is running short to participate in the amazing $500,000 Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. Every dollar that you give today will be matched and multiplied by two because of this matching challenge until we reach the goal amount. That means your generous gift today of, say, $50 becomes $100. A $150 gift becomes $300. A $1,000 gift would become $2,000. You get to choose the amount. The deadline for receiving your gift is midnight July 4th. 
So please reach out today and take advantage of this unique opportunity to double the impact of your giving. Pathway to Victory has experienced some peaks and valleys this last year with respect to the ups and downs of our nation's economy. All to say, we truly appreciate your sacrificial gift right at this time as we seek to present the truth of God's Word with His unstoppable power. Thanks so much for your stepping forward with your support today. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress called Unstoppable Power. And don't forget, because of the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge, your gift will be doubled in impact by another generous donor. Call us at 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Unstoppable Power Teaching Series. Plus, we'll also include a study guide that's perfect for a Sunday school class or small group Bible study. But today is the very last day these resources will be available. So be sure to get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could write to us if you'd like, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. You know, for centuries, Americans have enjoyed the blessings of religious freedom. But today, our religious liberties are threatened by those who ignore God. Join us Thursday for a message called America at the Crossroads here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.